0: You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn J-Town. In this series, we're following Jesus as He calls us to take on His yoke so that we might experience true flourishing. So let's stand together in honor of reading God's Word. Chapter 20, starting there in verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard and after agreeing with the workers on one denarius he went he sent them into his vineyard for the day and when he went out about 9 in the morning he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing he said to them you also go into my vineyard and i'll give you whatever it is right so off they went about noon and about 3 he went out again and did the same thing and then about 5 he went and found others standing around and said to them Why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? I think I've said that to my kids quite a bit. I was like, you've been doing absolutely nothing, right? What in the world? Uh, But because no one has hired us, they said to him, you also go into my vineyard, he told them. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard told his foreman, Call the workers and give them their pay, starting with the last and ending with the first. Dun, dun, dun. That's kind of what you need to hear as everything's building up to this place. Verse 9, when those who were hired about five came, they each received one denarius. So when the first ones came, they assumed they would get more, but they also received the denarius each. And when they received it, they began to complain to the landowner. These last men put in one hour, and you made them equal to us who bore the burden of the day's work and the burning heat. And he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Didn't you agree with me on a denarius? Take what's yours and go. I want to give this last man the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with what is mine? Are you jealous because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first last. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, let's pray together. Father, help us. Help us to hear what you want us to hear from this passage of Scripture, God. And Lord, I just pray that we would all put down our defenses and that we would have an open posture toward Jesus and your word. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. I listened to a podcast uh, this past week with an interview of Miley Cyrus. As most of you probably are familiar with Miley Cyrus. Uh, famously um, with her Hannah Montana back in a long, long time ago. And, um, Interesting interview. Uh, it's a pretty long one, and um, I stepped back from that interview, uh, troubled by a lot of things. And one specifically is this: I'm just looking at it holistically, um, I was kind of bothered a little bit and reminded that whenever um, we are severed in our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So I, like, my conviction is this. All right, I think this is in the Bible, and you don't have to share this conviction, but this is kind of where I am. You know, I believe humanity is created for relationship with God in and through Jesus Christ. That's the way humanity can flourish and be truly human. And whenever that is cut off or whenever that is severed, then there are are tons of consequences that come as a result of that. And one of those, and this is kind of what I kind of felt as I'm listening to this interview, is that our values, what we're to value uh, what rank priority they are in our life, how we're to value things gets really disordered and it gets really out of whack. And, and, and the problem with it to some extent is that it feels natural. Like these disordered values that, that are in us, right? And, and part of the, uh, the consequences of being severed in relationship with God through Jesus Christ these kind of values feel, feel natural, they feel normal. And so what has to happen is, is that whenever you receive Christ and you ask God to come back in your life and that relationship is reconciled, it's not like on day one, all of these new values that you're supposed to have in you are now just deposited and they're all ordered in the right way. No, it's a, it's a learning process. It's a, um, it's a tearing down you're not to value this. This is not to have that highest of priority. It's a, it's a constant tearing down and a rebuilding. And that's what's going on here on a high level in chapters 19 through 20. And so part of what Jesus is doing here is he's trying to help us who are, if you're in Christ, you're now a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And he's trying to help us see this is what you're to value. This is how you're to value these things. That's why he talks about marriage. That's why he talks about singleness. We didn't get into that. But he talks about singleness in that passage of scripture and how you're to value singleness. Sometimes we as uh, Christians in the church make marriage the ultimate goal. And you think, man, if you don't get married, you're not a complete person. Well, read your Bible. <laughs> There's a lot of value in being single. All right. So that's not the highest goal to get married someday. And then he goes on not only talking about singleness. He goes on and talks about the value of children in the kingdom of God and where they're to be in our own hearts and life. And then we saw last week this value of our stuff and our money and and the things that we have. Where is that to be in relationship to being a part of the kingdom of God? And then the other element that's sort of confusing for us in this area of valuing is this idea of the last will be first and the first will be last. I mean, I don't know about you that just it's kind of confusing. Like what do you... What do you really mean? Like how, how, how am I supposed to change my values here to where the first or last and last or first? Like what, what is going on? What are you trying to teach me about the kingdom of heaven here with this sort of statement of a value within the kingdom? And so to, to kind of bring home um, this point or even to answer this question, what does this truly mean? Jesus tells a story. And it's probably one of the, um, I don't know, I'm not going to say it's the most popular, one of the most popular stories in the Bible, even if you're not familiar with the Bible, you've probably heard this before. And it's one of those stories that really sticks with us. And the reason why it sticks with us is because it raises a lot of emotions. Like you just feel it. And it's like, ah, I don't like this story. I mean, I don't know if you felt that as you're walking through this, but that's exactly the first emotion that comes up in my mind and in my heart. And so Jesus tells us this story to kind of um, hammer home. What does he mean by the first will be last and the last will be first? He starts off here in verse one and, and just says, hey, the kingdom of heaven, this is what it's like. It's like a landowner. And everyone listening to the story can connect with what he's talking about here. This is kind of a, a normal common occurrence that happened in first century. So it's like a landowner that's needing some workers for his vineyard. So he goes out at... Six o'clock in the morning, the beginning of the day, hires a bunch of workers and says, look, go work in my vineyard. I'm going to pay you a day's wage. That's what denarius is. It's a, it's a common day's wage. It's a fair, just price in this time. So he goes out at six o'clock in the morning, gathers some people. They go in the vineyard. And then three hours later, he goes again at nine o'clock in the morning. Or some translations have he went out again at the third hour. And he does the same thing. Gathers a group of people, says, hey. And he doesn't tell them how many he's going to pay them. He doesn't tell them, I'm going to pay you a, a denarius. He says, I'm just going to pay you a fair wage. Go work in my vineyard. That group goes and works in the vineyard. Then he does it again at noon, at the uh, six hour, and again at three o'clock. Same thing. Goes out, gathers a group of workers. Hey, go work in my vineyard. And then the surprising thing is that the landowner then goes at five o'clock. So they work from sun, sunrise to sunset, six to six, all right? That's kind of the normal day's work then. So at five o'clock, how much time is left of the day to work? That's not a trick question, just one hour. He goes out and gets more workers to go work in his vineyard. And then everything is building up to this point because all, everybody's listening to this going, okay, yeah, that's a little weird to have him going every day, every few hours to go get more workers, especially at five o'clock, the day's almost done. Like, did you miscalculate? Did you not, you know, get enough workers at the beginning of the day? Like, why are you going back out? They're not gonna be able to do much anyways. Like, just have your losses or whatever. You know, I'm sure, I'm not, I'm speculating, but I'm sure it's kind of what's going through their mind there. But this is where everything is leading to. Jesus is an absolutely masterful storyteller. He's building Drama. He's leading to kind of this climax to where you begin to feel something. Look what he says here in verse 8. So when evening came, the owner of the vineyard told his foreman, call the workers and give them their pay. And here's the catcher. (laughs) Starting with the last and ending with the first. So when those who were hired about 5 o'clock they worked about an hour that day, came, they each received one denarius, a full day's wage of work. So when the first ones came, they assumed, and you know what happens when you make assumptions, amen, they would get more, but they also received a denarius each. So all of us would assume the same thing. Like if you're one of the workers that, that spent the whole day out in the field working you know i don't know if you ever worked in tobacco did that when you were growing up i did not because i heard the horror stories my brother did it for a summer dude that's some crazy hard work so just imagine if you if you have and it's okay just try to picture horrible conditions to work in right just imagine working 12 hours in august doing tobacco and junior whatever shows up 1 hour and you're watching the pay like you're going all right they got the same amount oh they got a denarius like you're assuming that maybe i get a denarius definitely a day's wage but i'm getting a bonus right like that's our assumption everybody's thinking this and it's like i'm getting a little extra if if joe got a full day's wage and he put in about a half hour's work man i've been slaving for 12 I'm getting a bonus and I'm excited. And the thing is, is the worker, the landowner here could have avoided this altogether, this huge conflict, amen? Like all you had to do was say, all right, I'm going to pay the first worker first, right? And no one would have known, you know, unless the last guy went home celebrating, but no one would have known. I mean, that's what I would have done as a dad, you know, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm going to avoid the fight. You know, I want to pay everybody the same, so I'm going to start off with the dude who started first, right? I mean, he could have avoided this altogether, but Jesus is trying to drive home a point, and he's doing this. This is why he's such a masterful storyteller. He's doing this by awakening kind of our emotional reaction, and our emotional reaction is that's not fair. That's not right. That landowner is treating his workers unjustly. That's that's what's rising up in us with this emotional reaction. And then Jesus so masterfully is going, that's what I want you to see because that's out of order. Because there's something else going on in the kingdom of heaven. There's There's a whole different economy that God works with that is not like what you experience in this world. And not only in this world, it's not what's instinctively within us. Look what happens here in verse 11. So when they received it, they began to complain to the landowner. The last man put in one hour and you made them equal to us who bore the burden of the day's work and the burning heat? And he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Didn't you agree with me on a Daenerys? I don't know about you, but when I read through this uh, parable, kind of the first thing that came to my mind, uh, group projects in school. Anybody with me talking about? I mean, horrible idea. If you're a teacher in here, love you, thank God for you. Please stop doing projects like this. This, It's a horrible idea. Because it's inevitable. You know, you're going to get someone in there that doesn't do jack squat. I mean, they don't do anything. It's like you always got one or two people. They're like just laid back, lazy, slothful, you know, and you're doing like 90 to 95% of the work and you, you know, throw it in there and everybody gets an A. You're like, no, that should not be the case. They should get an F. We should get an A because we did 95% of the work. They did like one thing, they provided paper. I don't know what it is, but we we all like grumble. And I think that's what what makes this parable so like resonates with us so much because we, we get, they assumed that they would get more. And so we thought they should get more. They grumbled and we understand why they grumbled because it feels like they're getting treated unfairly. It feels like they are, they're not getting what's due them because they, 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 they took the, you know, the, the brunt of the day's work. And the focus of this parable is right here on their disappointment where it ignited in them exactly what this writer says here. It's R.T. France. He's a great co- writer of a, a, the Matthew commentary. And this is what he says. Their very natural disappointment and sense of unfairness helps us to re-examine how far their reaction and ours are still governed by human ideals of deserving rather than by the uncalculating generosity of the kingdom of heaven. Which leads me to what I believe is the driving point of this parable, and that is this. That no matter how much you do, it is all grace. You get that? No matter how much you do, in the work of the kingdom of God, no matter how much you do, it is all grace. All of it's a gift. Because we gotta remember that this parable comes at the very end. Um, right after when Peter, if you remember this, uh, asked the question, you know, all right, hey, man, we've left, we've left family, we've left, you know, jobs. I was making bank as a fisherman, you know, like I had a nice boat, I had a nice setup, good 401k plan, you know, I'm indulging here, but that's in essence what Peter is saying. Like, we've given up a lot, Jesus, what's in it for us? And And honestly, like, I'm thankful Peter asked that question. Have you not asked that before? Has that not gone on inside of you, right? Like, do you not see how much I've given up, Jesus? Like, what is in it for this? Man, I feel like all I'm getting is beat up, beat up, beat up, beat up. I don't know if you've ever gone through those seasons where you feel like everything in your house is falling apart. That's kind of where we are right now. I even got up this morning and opened up my freezer and I saw all this water just frozen inside my freezer. I'm going, what in God's creation's going on here, man? You know, it's like, i got to figure out something's going on this afternoon. My dishwasher broke down a few weeks ago. I mean, I know he's all third world issues, but you know what I'm saying? Like you have those, those seasons where you just feel like it's one thing after another, after another, and you're going, come on, right? And I'm so thankful Peter asked this question. He said, man, we've given up a lot, Jesus. What's in it for us? And I love how Jesus is so gracious in that in the chapter 19. If you had not read that, you need to go home and read it. He doesn't reprimand him. He said, come on, Peter, you, you big moron. You know, you're always thinking about you. No, he, he says, look, no one loses by becoming a disciple of me. Oh, yeah, you, you will be rewarded for your sacrifice. Your father in heaven is taking notice of this. So no one's going to overlook you, Peter. I promise you that. You will be rewarded. Rewarded beyond your imagination, beyond what you can even comprehend. And then right after that, Jesus goes, but let me bring a corrective, right? Let me make sure you understand, and we're really clear with this. And so he tells this story in order to drive home the point. And that point is this, understand that in the kingdom of heaven, you do not earn anything. That is not how it works. Your reward that you will get, Peter, because of the sacrifice that you made in this life and following after me is not something you're earning. All of it is grace. All of it is a gift from God. When commentator says it like this, Jesus It's not laying down principles for resolving union management disputes. That's not what's going on in this parable. On the contrary, the principle in the world that he who works the longest receives the most pay, that is just, right? Like if you try to run your business like this, you're not going to have anybody working for you. Amen? That's not the point of this parable. Here's the point. But in the kingdom of God, the principles of merit and ability may be set aside so that grace can prevail. The problem was that the landowner was far more generous to the undeserving and those who thought they deserved more were angry about it. They missed the main point. It's all grace. It's all a gift. I mean, this, this landowner is extremely extremely generous. He goes out in the last hour when he doesn't have to do this. Like I said, it isn't because he calculated wrong or didn't, you know, figure out enough workers for, no, he, he went out at the last hour because this landowner is, it is just absolutely generous. He's a gracious landowner. And so he goes out and gets more workers to come and work for his field. That's that in and of itself is an act of generosity. And then, on top of that, he tells them he'll pay them a fair wage, right? But he rewards them as if they did a full day's work, and so they find out. Not only is he a just and fair landowner, but man, he is way extravagant. He's like beyond my comprehension. That's why I would also say that the grace of God is is so incomprehensible for all of us. Like we just sometimes cannot get our mind around it. And that's why Jesus has to tell these stories so that it kind of awakens these emotions to help us see, oh my, he is so generous. He is so gracious. And not only is it incomprehensible, at times it's offensive. Because for a lot of us who are absolutely over-churched, and grew up kind of knowing all the right things in us, we have this sort of feeling of entitlement that I've kind of earned a special spot. And we've forgotten that no matter how much we do, it is all grace, all of it. Reminds me of a story in Luke 15. Familiar story that all of us know well. But you got to remember at the beginning of that story on the prodigal son, Jesus clearly said, and a dad had two sons. So that story is not just about the prodigal son. It's not. It's about both of them. And you can probably make an argument that is primarily about the elder son and not the one that went off and did the crazy stuff. Because what did the elder son do? He complained, he grumbled. He looked at the generosity of his dad and how he lavishly loved an undeserving child and he just sat back with his hands in his pocket, angry at how gracious and generous his father was. Why? Why? because he had forgotten that it was all grace, that everything he had was a gift from his father. Brennan Manning, a man who struggled with alcoholism his entire life. If there's anybody who's going to talk about grace, I want to hear it from a man who struggled with addiction his entire life. He said this, for grace proclaims the awesome truth that all is a gift, all of it. All that is good is ours, not by right, but by the sheer bounty of a gracious God. And when we get this in us, And this isn't an overnight thing. This is a lifelong journey. We become a gracious and a generous and a merciful people who can weep with those who weep without thinking they deserve it. You hear that? When this gets in us, we begin to weep with those who weep without thinking They deserve this. We can rejoice with those who are rejoicing without envying the good that they are experiencing by the very hand of God. The last became first by sheer grace and not by work performed. So let me ask you, Where in your life do you desire to feel better than than equal to? You hear me? Where in your life do you desire to feel better than and not equal to? Where do I find myself grumbling and complaining? about God's kindness and graciousness toward another. Those could be signs in your own life that you're not there either, that you don't get, that no matter what you do, it is all grace. It's a gift, all of it. And then Jesus ends a parable In verse 14, saying this. So take what's yours and go. I want to give this last man the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with what is mine? Are you jealous? Because I'm generous. And so the first will be last. And the last will be first. So this is how I'm ending I'm ending with that question because I think that's where Jesus is wanting us to leave with and sit with. Are you jealous because God is generous to the undeserving? I always get a um, several like updates from people that are in ministry and I had several friends that are involved in uh, pastoring churches and um, leading in some capacity in some ministry stuff. And so I I get updates from them pretty consistently with several people. And I got one a few weeks ago um, that, um, yeah, shamefully felt very envious and jealous of. And I found myself really struggling to rejoice and be joyful cuz it just seems like from an outside perspective looking in and things are clicking things are amazing things are going great really happy all the things that they're praying for is happening And I found myself saying in my own spirit, and I deserve that. I deserve that. And when I read this parable this week, it's just really convicting. Because I am jealous and envious at the way that God sometimes is really gracious to someone I think is probably not deserving as much as I am. And when I or any one of us gets upset, angry, frustrated, because someone else gets something we don't think he or she deserves, we have to accept that we're still a long ways from understanding and accepting the kingdom of God. R. T. France says this in his uh, commentary on Matthew says this: "We find it hard to abandon our human scale of values, especially when comparing ourselves with others, and to accept the large-heartedness of God toward those we regard as undeserving." Are you envious, jealous of God's generosity toward those you think don't deserve it? That's what we sit with today because that's what Jesus wants us to sit with. That's exactly how he ended the parable. Let's pray. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash J-Town.